How many excited to get in the Word this morning? All right. Appreciate you, Alice. Come on. We should all be like Alice. Come on. How many excited to get in the Word this morning? <laughs> Praise God. I, gotta believe, I believe we have to come to his word like we're coming to the table with forks ready to eat. Come on. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Amen. God, we want to hear your word this morning. Speak to our hearts. Uh, turn with your, me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And a story many of us are familiar with, an encounter a visitation, if you will. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus wants to visit your house. Yes. So it's about making our house ready. Come on, Jesus. Don't pass us by. And we've been having a focus this month on prayer and a pri- being a priority in our life. And I hope many of you are joining with us on a daily basis as we pray for various uh, focuses that focus areas the Lord has been giving us. And uh, I just believe God's moving. There's power in agreement in prayer. And there's power when you guys pray with us. And so as we're doing that, things are moving. God is answering. And uh, last week I spoke on the invitation to ask. We are to ask uh, persist with persistence, with faith, with boldness, and with expectation, because God is a God who wants us to ask. He invites us to ask. He says, "Ask and keep on asking, and you will receive. Seek and seek, keep on seeking, you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be opened unto you." And this week, I felt impressed upon work focusing on that word priority. How many know it's? It's uh, sometimes difficult as we look at all the things in our life to figure out the right priority sometimes. That there are many things going on, and we, we typically, especially in Western culture in America, we live busy lives. And we are busy about many things. And um, I, you know, often I'll ask, if somebody asks you what your priorities are, we, we will likely say God, family, work, then ministry, and maybe whatever that order may be for you. Hopefully God's at the top. Amen? Seek first the kingdom of God. But then we have to look at our lives and get, take an honest assessment and go, is it true in how I allocate my resources? Is it true in how I live my life that these priorities actually are lived? And so um, we see a wonderful story here in Luke chapter 10. And I just want to say this, that prayer is more than just about asking, as I spoke about last week. It's relational. It's not transactional. It's relational. The Father invites us to ask because he likes us to come to him. He likes us to come to him. But he, it's a two-way conversation. And often, oftentimes we're so busy asking that we don't sit and listen. We don't hear what the Father has to say, and He wants to speak to our hearts. He wants every interaction to be a place where He can speak into us His words of life. Where we will hear in that place of fellowship, of relationship, of intimacy that Jesus longs for us to have. That should be the wellspring of our life. Everything flows from that place. 
And so it's so easy in Christian life to get about the doing that we forget about the being. He didn't call us human doings. He called us human beings. He called us to be in his presence and to be who he's called us to be. And so here we have this visitation, if you will, and we'll start in verse 38. And it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. See, I hope we are welcoming Jesus into our home. I hope that he finds our home a welcoming place. In verse 39, he says, She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Somebody's felt like that at some point. Then tell her to help me. Now, that's bold. Jesus, you tell her to help me. Verse 41, she says, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. No, it's not Marsha, Marsha. No. It's different. You were worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Somebody say the good part this morning. And I want to say the better part. Now, Jesus comes to visit this wonderful family. And let me just say this. Jesus loved this family. Jesus loved these siblings. Lazarus. Mary and Martha, and, and we, we see from several accounts that he felt at ease in their house. He felt at home. It was his home away from home, although the Son of Man didn't really have a home. But he found a place where he could come and he could be welcomed and rest. And not only rest, but speak into their lives. And so... I believe Jesus wants our homes, because we talk about being a house of prayer here. Obviously, God's called his church to be a house of prayer. He's called us to be a house of prayer. But what about our homes being a house of prayer, a place where he can dwell, a place where he can speak? Jesus felt a deep affinity for these three siblings. And let's just say they were very different, three personalities and perspectives that differed greatly. But, Mar- you know, we see in Martha that she was the doer. Are there some doers in the house? We got some task-oriented people in the house. We know you're here, and we thank God for you. We thank God for you because people don't, things don't get done if there's not some task people. And we've got some people-oriented people. Right? We just, we love to be social. Where's the next party? If you haven't met my mom, Pastor Judy... She's extreme on that. So am I. I love people. If you come to our house, I hope you feel welcomed, and we're going to give you food, and we're going to make you feel welcome, and you can stay, and we just, we love people. But we need some doers. How many know we need some doers, and we need some people who love people? We need both. And we need both in our lives. And Jesus appreciated them in their uniqueness, and he appreciates us in our uniqueness. We've each been given unique giftings and callings, and, and that's who God's called us to be. But in this story, he gives us an answer to a question of priority. 
And it's demonstrated in these two sisters' lives. But we see in their life a great picture of love and service to our master. Now, Martha was a hard worker. She was a conscientious worker. She was concerned about the preparations. Got to get that house perfect. There's some people in here this morning who would say, if you're coming over, I'm going to make sure my house is perfect. Everything's in order. That was Martha. That was her concern. But this, she was doing what was customary. She was doing what was expected. It's to be hospitable to whomever came into their home, stranger or friend. However, in this moment, she became distracted, it says. Which means she at some point had been properly focused and and had her priorities in order. But the voice of the urgent called her out of that place into a frantic place. Anyone been there this morning? Where those things that are urgent call you out of the place of rest, call you out of the place of relationship, and they stress us out, if we'll be honest. Martha's focus was shifted to the practicality of hosting Jesus in her house. Mary's focus was on Jesus being in the house. You know, and that's what we want our focus to be. If Jesus is here, we want him to interrupt what we're doing because it's about him. We can get so formal in our services and in our structure and all that that we don't make room for the Lord to have his way. He says he does things all in order, but it's in his order. Amen? It's in the Holy Spirit's order that we give it. So many of us start well. Look at this. Martha welcomes him into the house. And I think that speaks to many of us in our walk of faith, our relationship with the Lord. We welcome him into our lives, but he has no sooner than just sat down and we're busy about we've been distracted. <laughs> I've seen it so many times in the lives of new Christians who come in and they're excited about Jesus and then they get to the cares of the world. And the Bible even says in Matthew 13 that the cares of the world choke the word. They choke the word. They choke the life of the word in our life. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things comes in and it steals that life, that seed that God has in his word in our life. Amen? And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful of the cares of life that they don't get in the way of us spending time, precious time with Jesus. And if you don't get anything else this morning, this is what I feel from the Lord. He is calling us deep calls unto deep. He's calling us into a deeper place of fellowship with him. Because as we go in depth with him, it allows us to go broader in in ministry and impact. The breadth of, of of the impact our lives have is directly proportional to the depth of our relationship and intimacy with him. As we abide in him, the Lord says there's fruit, there's much fruit, there's more fruit that comes. And so it's a place of abiding he's calling us to. So Martha's question, let's look at this. She says, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to come help me. You know, in the King James Version, it says she was cumbered. And this word's interesting. It says to draw away, distract, metaphorically to be over-occupied, too busy about a thing. So she was going above and beyond what she was really needed to do. Too busy. Yet Jesus is in the living room. Come on. 
too busy about other things. My uncle from Texas has a saying. He says, hey, son, you got too many irons in the fire. Too many irons in the fire. And we can get our lives where they're so busy, where they're so full with things that we're doing that we don't have time for the things of God. Amen? But this question triggers some other questions. Maybe Martha was experiencing a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out. You've all experienced it. She saw Mary just chilling with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, and she's like, I want some of that, but I'm sitting here working. Jesus, make this right. You get that feeling of injustice. How many got fairness doctrine going on in your life? Fairness doctrine. It's not fair. I'm working, and she's sitting, and I'm working, and she's sitting. Boo-hoo. Maybe it was that because it says that she was left, maybe Mary started to work with her and then said, no, I hear these words in the other room. I hear Jesus. I need to go spend time with him. I don't want to miss this opportunity to go sit at his feet. Had all of Martha's hard work and exasperation brought her to a place of fretting and unbelief. And I've seen this so many times where people are serving in the the church and they lose that place of intimacy with the Lord and then they're serving and then in their serving they get fretting. They get complaining. See, it's good to serve God. God, In this passage, the Lord is not saying that what Martha was doing was bad, but it was about how she was doing it and what she was prioritizing. The heart of service comes from the heart of relationship. It flows. Spurgeon says this, too much work and too little fellowship always brings self into prominence. Self must be prayed down and fellowship with Jesus must keep it down. Are you with me this morning? When we come into his presence, we have to humble ourselves. Self has to come down in his presence. And when our lives get out of balance, Prophet Chuck, uh, I'm sorry, Prophet uh, Chuck Flynn, thank you, uh, used to say this. He used to say, don't let your... Don't lose your spiritual equilibrium. We can lose our spiritual equilibrium, our balance in our life. And it's clear when our, these attitudes start coming out of us, these attitudes of fretting, these attitudes of unbelief, that we need to go back to our wellspring. We need to go back to that place of intimacy and in, in his presence and be refreshed. Are you with me this morning? It is a good indicator our priorities need to be reset. We become fretful and unbelieving when personal devotion and busyness of life get out of balance. How many believers get burned out because, listen to this, because they didn't give right place and right priority to spending time at his feet? I believe that is the answer to burnout. To keep the fire burning, I've got to be in the place of intimacy. Keep that fire burning. Stir up within me the gifts and callings. I can't leave that dormant. I've got a responsibility to go into his presence and spend time and be intentional about my devotion. At his feet is where it all begins. 
How many Christians end up offended? You know what offended means? I've said it before, but it means to be off-ended. Meaning the direction you're going in, the destination is changed because of your heart attitude. We, get, we take offense, and offense is a stumbling block, and it causes us to go astray. And there's many who have been hurt, they've been offended in church and whatnot, and it's caused them to go astray because that offense was not dealt with. And it's easier for that offense to come when we don't have right perspective, and we don't have right perspective when we haven't been in his presence. That's where right perspective comes from, is from the throne room. God, rid us of offense. We get bitter, we get disillusioned state because we've lost perspective on serving him. It becomes a matter of duty and obligation and not an outflow from deep, intimate relationship with him. Look at 1 Peter 4, 9. Does somebody know hospitality is important? It's important. It's a ministry. It's a gift. Some, some of you are absolutely amazing. How many, these people that host the home groups, thank you. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for opening your homes. Thank you for making a way for people to come into fellowship and be touched and, and be healed and come into deep relationship with other believers. Because you open your home and you're hospitable. But there's a way to be hospitable. How many, got, how many know Martha got a little bit sour in this moment? But 1 Peter 4 9 says this, Be hospitable to another, one another without complaint. Woo, do it with right heart attitude. But you can't stop there. you got to keep reading. And it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's what it is. We are stewards of God's grace. We are stewards of God's grace. And that grace comes through relationship. It's freely received. Grace is freely received by faith through grace. By grace through faith, I should say. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, We are saved by faith through grace, by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. Amen? His grace. Now listen, grace, we need the grace to do what God's called us to do, and that grace comes from this place of intimacy. He says, whoever speaks, verse 11, do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving, listen, by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve him with gladness. Gladness. So there is a serving. God calls us to serve. There are practical things to be done in ministry. There's a reason they call it the work of the ministry. There's work to be done. But there's an attitude of heart that needs to be had when doing that work. An attitude of worship, an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, if you will. Our fretting and serving is an indication that the grace has run out. Woo. But if it's run out, it's not because of him. Come on. He says, my grace is sufficient. 
My grace is sufficient. You're not going to be lacking in any good thing. Come on. When we desire it, when we receive it from him. But that flow comes from that place of intimacy and fellowship with him. And often we get burnout, often we get, we get discouraged, often we come to this place of despair because we've been doing it in our own strength, just muscling through it, just muscling through it. And we're exhausted and we're burned out and we're going, and then all of a sudden the attitudes and we start to think about why me, come on. And then we start looking at what we've done. See, grace keeps you focused on what he's done. Oh, Grace keeps you focused on what he's done and not on what I've done. And so the moment we start keeping count, (laughs) here's all this stuff I've done. Self begins to come up. It's time for self to come down. Look at Jesus' answer. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Why do we get worried? Why do we get bothered? But I love this. I don't believe this was a a, a saying this out of irritation or annoyance. That's not how Jesus rolls. I believe it was tenderness. It shows that he, he loved her. It was kindness. That he was familiar with who Martha was, how she was wired. And he speaks to this thing. And says, no, no, no. I got something better for you. You're worried and you're bothered about so many things, but I, that's, there's something better. There's a better part that's available to you. See, he knows our character. He knows our concerns. I don't believe it was spoken in a corrective tone. See, sometimes we read Scripture and we hear it through our own ears, our own bias, our own filters. May we hear our parent yelling at us. But Jesus is speaking tenderly. This word worry is to be anxious, troubled with cares. Bothered is disturbed, troubled in mind and disquieted. And, you know, we come to those moments where we are troubled and we're disquieted and then we have to have some self-talk. Are you with me this morning? It's, It's healthy to talk to yourself. It's okay. It's okay. David did. He said, soul, or the psalmist did. He said, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. Sometimes you got to have, how many's had that conversation before? Hope in God. Stop it. Get up out of your miry clay. One might be inclined to ask, how is it possible for her to be in this state when Jesus is in the living room? How many Christians, and if this applies to you, if the shoe fits, okay, I'm not. But we're in proximity to Jesus. We're living around believers. Come on. We're hanging out in church, but we're living troubled lives. Bothered by many things. And yet he's right there. He's right there. He's in our midst. He says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And he's saying, I've got something better for you. 
You don't have to live this way. That's why it says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, he says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. That's the key. Mind stayed on him, and he trusts in him. Amen? Praise God. There's hope. You don't have to live troubled. Amen? Praise God. There's freedom. But he wants us to experience that peace and joy that he has for us. Often in Scripture, he says, so that your joy may be filled. And there's a condition there that's given. God wants our joy to be filled. He wants our cups overflowing. Life in the Holy Ghost is, is, is exciting. It's overflowing. Undoubtedly, there were disciples with Jesus when he came to their house that day. You know, so her hospitality was a big thing because it was probably a posse. Come on. There was a lot of people there. And we know when we have to host a lot of people, it's a lot of work. But these guys were probably present at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked to them about a worry-free life because it's possible. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. For sufficient for today is its own troubles. Can you even add one hour to your life by worrying? And we will justify worry for many reasons. And because we justify, we live with the consequences of it, which is the troubles and the cares and the weights. And those are the things that God talks about in Hebrews 12. Lay aside those things that would so easily beset you, those things that weigh you down, those worries and those troubles that weigh you down. He says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you, says the Lord. We can do that. That exchange happens because we know that's happened because peace is reigning in our hearts. And he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, zero, nothing, nada, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I want you to see that. Prayer with thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving encourages faith because you're thanking him before the answer has come. Let your requests be made known to God. And, pe- and you're thanking him for the answer that is coming. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll set a guard around us. That's his intent for us. And that's what happens when, when we spend that time sitting at his feet that we should. Then he says, listen. You are worried about so many things, but one thing is necessary. Somebody say this morning, one thing. One thing is necessary. See, here's the deal. Many things, then one thing. What's the problem? Our lives are too complex sometimes. They're just too complex. There's so much going on. We're so busy. We're so, we've got so many responsibilities and things that weigh us down. And sometimes situations and circumstances bring us to that point. That there are too many things. There are too many things. And he says, there's one thing. There's one thing that you should be concerned with at this moment. And he had a similar conversation about one thing with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Look at this. He says, looking at him, Jesus felt love for him. 
And this rich young ruler had said, hey, what must I do, right? And he says, follow the commandments. And he says, I've done all these since I was, since I was young. And he gets to this point. He says, one thing you lack. Somebody say one thing. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddening when he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Whew, what an ask. Our lives and our possessions quickly add up, and they become many things. And with each thing, there is another something to make you worry. How many know it's true? It has been one year since we're at, we're about the one year anniversary of this lockdown. I look back and it was on March 24th that the stay at home order hit in our state. And we found out in a quick few weeks, right? Our lives were stripped down to bare essentials. A lot of the activities, a lot of our entertainment, the things we did, we had to stop. And we found out what what was essential. And we argued about what was essential, some of, some of us, right? But Jesus never stopped being essential. Church never stopped being essential, praise God. But in those times, there were, we found out how complicated our lives, and I believe God, we were, we were coming to this, our lives were brought to a screeching halt. And yet, in that moment, we found out, and I believe the Lord was seeking and, and testing our hearts. He may not have been what brought. He may not have been the one who brought about the pandemic, but He can use those circumstances in our life to test us, and find out what's in us, and find out what really matters. And we found out what was really matters. We got tested. We got pressed in those times. And I believe he wants to bring us to this point of priority of the one thing, to seek him. The one thing to go into his presence. The one thing that's necessary and needful in our lives is what he was pointing to in this situation with Martha. Things aren't the problem. Our preoccupation with them is the problem. Having possessions isn't a problem. Possessions having us is a problem especially when the possessions are choking God's word in our lives. Now let's look at Mary's response. Praise God. Because we can learn much. We see keys to finding the better part that God intends for us. That place of being at his feet. That place that we so easily neglect, but is so greatly needed. Number one was her position at his feet. Because that position is a position of humility. It's a position of surrender. It's a position that says, Rabbi, you're greater than me. I need to hear what you have to say. Her posture, number two, was to listen. It was a position of a disciple. Those who sat at the feet of a rabbi were in a posture to learn, to hear from his word. He says, we are to continue in his word. In John chapter 8, verse 32, the Lord says, 
So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue, verse 31, continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That's the key. It's the continuance that makes us disciples. It's the posture, the position of a disciple at the feet of the Lord to hear his voice. Are we listening? Are we inclined? Is our ear inclined? In, in verse 20 and 21 of Proverbs chapter 4, the Lord says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Incline your ear. That's a position, it's a posture of our heart saying, Lord, I'm here to listen. There's many times I come in prayer and I've got so many things to unload, but God, I want to listen to you. Speak for your servant hears. Number three was her priority. He says, one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen the good part. See, life is a series of choices. God says to the children of Israel, he goes, see, I set before you life and death. Choose. Then he gives you the answer. Life. Choose life. Choose life. And the life is in the spirit and in the word and in the spirit and the word that we get in relationship and in intimacy with him. It's an active choice. Our flesh is screaming. Like Pastor Carolyn said this morning, when you go to prayer, when you go to that place of of seeking the Lord, how many know your flesh will come up? Every urgent thing will come up and try to distract you from getting to that place. I've had many intentions that I failed in. Anybody else this morning? Lord, I'm going to spend all day with you today. That didn't happen. All these things came up. All these distractions came up. All these disruptions. And you know what? It's, it's just that he desires us. And he desires to speak to us. Jesus said she has chosen the good part. He wasn't saying that Martha's service and work weren't important. He was making a statement of priority. You need me and time with me more than I need you doing work for me. You need me and time with me more than I need you doing work for me. I'm not discouraging service and work. We have a lot of things to do this morning. You heard the announcement. But it all needs to flow out of this place of love and relationship and intimacy, out of this place of abiding in the vine so that fruitfulness can come forth in our life. Amen? I didn't lose you this morning, did I? All right. Laborers must first be lovers. We naturally want to do stuff for the Lord, and that is good, but if we neglect the better part, our being can be lost in our doing. Our labor for the Lord needs to flow from a love for him. The practical is not bad, but the spiritual is needful. Look at John 6.63, almost done this morning. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And see, I, I know this better part in my life. I know, I've come to know how absolutely essential my time with the Lord is. It's absolutely essential. My family can tell you how important it is. <laughs> because a day when it gets disrupted is a different kind of day for me. 
It sets the course of my day. It sets the trajectory of my day. David wrote many times about, in the morning I will seek you. There are many saints of old who have, who have impacted the world greatly for the gospel and the kingdom of God. And they quite often have one testimony that their day started in prayer. Martin Luther said this. He said, I have a very busy day tomorrow, so I must pray four hours before I go do that. Now, all of us don't have the luxury of four hours, but we sure do have the luxury of putting him first in our day. Because I don't know about you, but my day has an inertia. Once it gets moving, once it gets moving and the busyness and the cares of life begin to start happening, I get behind. And it's hard to stop and make the time that I had at the beginning of the day when I was fresh. That time in the morning is so essential to me. You know, I love activities. I love spending time with friends and families. I love out sports and outdoors. But there is a better part that makes everything else pale in comparison. Time at the feet of Jesus, being in his presence, receiving his word, receiving life from his word, letting him speak to us, letting him refresh us, sharing our deepest desires with us, him and him sharing his deepest desires with us. I want to give him my best, not my leftovers. I want to give him my everything, not just here and there, peace parts. David's prayer in Psalm 27 captures this heart. He said, he had many, you know, David had many things to ask of the Lord. He was, after all, a king. He was leading a nation, God's people. He had enemies. He had battles. He had the administration of, his, of the kingdom. He had all these things. But he says, in verse 4 of Psalm 27, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek. There's that one thing. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Is that our one thing? Is that our desire? He, not, he wants to dwell in our house, but there should be a desire in us to dwell in his house. Just wherever he is, that's where I want to be. We have many things to be concerned with in our lives, leading our families, being good employees, faithfully serving God and working to advance his kingdom. But none of it can be done effectively if we neglect the better part of communing with Jesus. And here's the best part. She says, and this better good part won't be taken from her. Won't be taken from her. You know, see, I can lose everything else. But that, what I gain in that relationship, in that place of intimacy with Jesus cannot be taken. It's mine. It's eternal. This is eternal life to know him. And I don't have to wait for eternity to do it. I can begin now. I can begin experiencing eternal life now in that place with him. Simon Peter goes on in John chapter 6. If we keep reading there, he had challenged the disciples he said unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you will have no part in me and they're like whoa i'm out yeah. many left 
says many disciples left him in that moment. And then he turns to his disciples. says, are you guys going to leave too? You out? And he says, hey, Peter says, listen, we've already left everything, Lord. And to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Come on. Whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, we go to so many different people and so many different sources and books and all that, but Jesus is saying, just come to me. I have the words of eternal life. I have the words of eternal life. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These are eternal. What we gain in the place at the feet of Jesus can never be taken away from our lives. I'll finish with this. If the worship team would come. Charles Spurgeon says this, the way to get the revival is to begin at the master's feet. You must go there with Mary, and afterwards you may work with Martha. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Praise God. Oh, Lord, we love you this morning. Last week we were challenged to accept his invitation to come ask. But I wonder this morning if we'd give him an invitation. Come into my house. George Otis Jr. was here at the end of January. He spoke on this passage out of Isaiah, which says the Lord is lofty and he dwells in lofty places, but he also dwells in the places with the humble and contrite in heart. And I wonder if we would just humble ourselves and say, God, we want you to come into our homes, into our families. Come and make... Come and sit. Come and teach us. We want to sit at your feet, Jesus. We come before you with hunger. We incline our ear to hear your voice. Lord, it's your voice we long to hear. You said, my sheep will hear my voice. And they will not follow the voice of the stranger. They'll know my voice. They'll hear my voice. And they won't follow another voice. Father, we're asking you this morning to begin to speak afresh to us. We know sometimes, and this morning we repent, Lord, that sometimes the busyness and the cares of this life drown out the still small voice that you long for us to hear. Lord, you come up behind us and you say, this is the the way, walk ye in it. Lord, we long to hear your voice, your direction. each and every one of our lives this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're speaking in this place. I thank you that you are drawing us unto you. Lord, that your word says that as we draw near to you, you are faithful to draw near to us. 
thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for all you're doing. God, we hear your cry this morning, the deep cries on the deep, calling us to a deeper place with you, a deeper place of relationship and intimacy. this morning, but if there's things that have been weighing you down, if there's troubles, there's cares, there's you can relate to Martha and her situation she was in in this passage. Holy Spirit's talking to you this morning. Saying you're troubled and you're worried about many things, but this one thing is necessary. The Lord's calling you to a deeper place. If that's you, you need to respond to his voice this morning. You respond to his call. I just want to ask you just to, you can come, you can respond where you're at. But as we sing this song, let's just open our hearts to him. and Just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Speak to us this morning.